0: Good morning, everybody. Again. I used to be weird saying it because I just said good morning, but good morning, everybody, again. All right. I did it again, so I said it a third time now. I won't do it again. All right. Well, here we are. It is our upper room service. So remember, we, we do things a little bit differently on this service with no kids in the back. We keep them uh, in the service, so we have a fun time with them here up on stage. And We do that so that they can kind of participate in communion. If they are believers, uh, they are welcome to participate in the communion. We want them to understand uh, church as well and feel like they are not just the kids who go off into the back and hang out by themselves, uh, but they are actually a part of this church as well. Uh, and And they are not just, they always say the future of the church, they are the church now if they are believers in Christ, that they are a part of what we do here at Faith Fellowship Church. Uh, so, and we also bribe them as well if they want to come up on stage because they know that I always have candy on stage as well, so it's a little bribe uh, for them also to come up on stage. So, with that being said, uh, come on up, st- I don't see very many today, so we're going to see how this goes. Come on up on stage. I was going to say there's one, okay, I know this dude. I saw Kenzie somewhere. I guess she's gone. Welcome. Another one coming. All right. James, no kids. Whew. I get to be my own star on stage now. He just, I don't get, t- there's another one. All right. We got three. That's a give it up for him. Give it up. All right. So, oh, whoa, we got another one coming. Okay. Okay. All right. So everybody is going to get a piece of paper. Trevor, you might actually—this is going to be pretty awesome. I think you're going to like this. All right, thumbs up. All right, and here's—not fortune tellers, but we are going to make paper airplanes. You do? Perfect. Then I don't have to say anything. We can—we can help you. You're good. Yeah, I can help too. There you go. Yeah, we have to make a paper airplane. Yeah, it's going to be cool. All right. So you can make a paper airplane in a lot of different ways. Whoa, we got more coming up. Where are they just like, where are they coming from? That's a a story for, never mind. Um, Don't go off, don't go off script, Seth. Don't go off script. All right. Here we go. There we go. You You can get one too. There you go. and There you go. All right. So, here we go. Let me get, I already got one made up, but I'll, I'm going to do one for you guys. Where are all these kids? I mean, I'm Ryan, you know, I'm not, no, there's more kids. Here we go. Hey, why don't we guys shift down, shift down, slide down, make some space, because you guys want to get centered up here. It makes good when everybody, the OCD people are going to wonder why everybody's on one side, you know, kind of spread them out. There we go. Awesome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Here you go. Here you go, you get one too, there you go. Oh, I'm dropping stuff, there we go, it's, it's it stuck forever. Somebody will get it. All right, first step I want you to do, if you already can make one, go ahead and make it if you want, but usually you, you kind of fold it in half. And again, don't judge my folding or anything. There are numerous ways to make paper airplanes, we all know, don't come to me after service and say, you made it wrong. I'm gonna tell you, you make them wrong. So, so everybody kind of gets the fold in half here. Everybody kind of got that as you go through. Again, it's not gonna be perfect. Nobody's perfect, right? Except for Jesus, he probably made perfect paper airplanes because he was a carpenter and all these extra things. All right, so then you got this little fold here and you usually make a triangle. So you kind of take one corner and fold it into the middle there we go so you kind of fold it into the middle you take the kind of the corner and fold it right in you're going to fold it down just like that right at the middle perfect perfect all right there we go perfect good job you fold it in on the corner just like that and then you do the same thing to to the other side so fold it in So then, I always say, it kind of looks like a house then, huh? little house with a little roof on it. Now, again, this is where you can get a little more specific. Sometimes people will fold it over again if you want. So I'm going to do that, but you don't have to do that step. I'm just going to do this because it's just the way I like to do it. All right. So then when you have your sides all done, everybody's got that, looking good, looking good, all right, all right. So then you just fold it back in half and you kind of have a little funky shape when you fold it in half and it might kind of begin to look like an airplane, but maybe not really in any kind of way. All right, so you get to this point right here. I should have given you guys all pieces of paper. Anybody want pieces of paper? Yeah, yeah, yeah. here you go, if you, if you want to you're not, I'm not going to bring you up on stage you're not going to get candy, but if you want a piece of paper and make an airplane, come ahead and grab grab a sheet of paper we're not going to be stingy with it over there so alright, now you have this part you got to get, what, what's missing on our plane? <laughs> very important part alright, if you ever get on a plane and there's no wings, don't get on the plane agree? alright, alright so then we're just going to kind of take the wing, the half paper, and you just kind of fold it down toward the bottom here. See how it go down to the bottom just like that? So you kind of fold it down there. Everybody's getting some good help here. Everybody looks like. Now, remember, school is fast approaching. I don't suggest making paper airplanes and then throwing them around in the classroom, Okay. I was I hope nobody does that in the school. That is just not a good idea. Any teachers to say amen to that? All right, there you go, so teachers, all right. Now you come up, oh mine, I kinda of messed mine up. All right, so now you get this little thing. Now you guys can stand up. Once you have your airplane and go to that side of the room, actually from just over, you guys go to that side of the room, I mean on the stage. Stay on the stage still, then you guys can just stand over here. And when you're ready, you can kind of just throw your airplane. So just kind of give it a nice talk. Hey, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I was actually not expecting that. Ah! (laughs) Trevor. Whoa. Trevor's attacking me. Trevor went like World War II on me or something. All right. So, everybody go get your plane. You guys did a great job. Get your planes. But we're gonna do a little something to your plane. Come on up here. All right. How much we got here? You already know? You have no idea what we're doing. Actually, you did say exactly what we're doing. So what we're gonna do is take this money. Now look, I is Bill's not here, okay? I am not Bill. I am not giving you guys $5. I'm not even going to give you 25 cents. I would like this money back. So, Bill, Bill doesn't work in ministry. So, we're going to get this, and we're going to tape it. Now, don't throw it yet. All right. I'll just go sit down there, all right? All right. Who says? See, what was one of the first things I said? Don't come up here and judge my paper airplane making. And the 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 first thing, I am not a person who does crafts. Like I said, I work with change, and I want my change back. That's the kind of person I am. All right. You can't lose the money. All right. There we go. Excellent work. Excellent work. Everybody's a judge of character or something up here. Everybody wants to have an opinion these days. All right. Awesome. There you go. So I'm going to add this to you. Then when you have the money, go back to where you were standing originally. So we go back to the side you're on. All right. You're just thinking, man, the longer this goes, the less Seth has to share. We're going to see how that goes. All right. I'm here, money falling everywhere. I don't know if the church gets the best tape here. There you go. All right. How many more we got? Come on up. One. Perfect, perfect. It's got a point, okay? Just, just roll with it. It's called object lesson. Shh, just go with it. All right. There we go here we go there you go a little bit more here now with this do you kids do you guys think that your plane is going to fly differently with this money on it oh i fell off that's okay you can just keep one on there it'll it'll still be just as good what do you think Do you think it's going to fly the same way with this weight on it? No. Why not? Why do you think that, Trevor? You think it's going to plummet to the ground? Oh! Again, that would not be something. Never mind. We won't go because everybody gets nervous. All right. There we go. Everybody. All right. Everybody, stand up. Need more? Okay, here we go. I got you. I got you. Right, where is it? Right there. All right, everybody stand up. And now you change yours, you (laughs) little cheater Trevor. You are... All right, so now, everybody give your plane a into flight, cause you cheated. That's why you don't go off of the object lesson, cause then it falls apart. All right, and everybody kind of give it a nice toss. Did it fly the same with the weight on it? No, except for yours did. But the object lesson is supposed to be this. So the object lesson is when the planes flew the first time free of the weight of the coin, they flew the way they were supposed to. But then when you add on the weight of what we're going to call today unforgiveness, your life isn't going to fly in the same way. It's going to weigh you down. It's going to cause you struggles and strifes in life, and you're not going to go about the life you're supposed to have if you are an unforgiving person. So, in order for me not to be an unforgiving person, give me back my money. All right? You can keep the tape, sure. You can keep the tape and the paper airplane and then all this change. This is the Warner Vacation Fund. So, we all need this desperately back uh, for us more tape what are you gonna do with it you're gonna cause some havoc back there aren't you the go ahead ha- go wild with it oh thank you guys thank you thank you everybody you're, you're so responsible all right so because of all your great help here is the candy you guys can get you guys can take three pieces of candy okay and remember, this serves double because it keeps them quiet during the service. No, I'm just kidding. It's fine. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, take three pieces semi-quickly, and you can return to your seats. Give it up for our flight attendants. Yeah. And remember, I am always going to throw this out, but... Remember, I have ceased to throw things into the audience for injuries that can occur and what we call now liabilities. So if you want candy, you can go trick-or-treating. Although if you guys go trick-or-treating, I would just look really sad if you guys were still trick-or-treating. All right. Once you have your candy, you can go back to your seats. She's looking for just the most excellent piece that she wants. She's like, I want the best tasting candy in the whole world. There you go. Yeah, you go ahead with that. Yeah. Perfect. All right, give it up for them again as they head off. All right. See, it works great, but I knew there was going to be somebody who would try to put the weight correctly on those things and make it actually fly better. That is the kind of downfall. All kind of things fall apart in all their ways. But, but we're going to be looking at that lesson today and the object of unforgiveness with the unmerciful servant as we continue. Remember, each upper room, uh, we're looking—remember, our overall series this year is The Life of Christ. Uh, but then with each upper room, we're kind of looking at specific parables— Uh, that Jesus was sharing during his time uh, here on earth. So we are continuing to look uh, into these parables. Remember, our upper room service is just a fancy word, not really a fancy word, but it's the word we use to describe our communion service. So uh, if you are still uncomfortable uh, with the passing of the elements, remember in the chairs in front of you, there is still the individually wrapped Uh, communion cups, with the first tab opening up to the cracker and the second tab opening up uh, to the juice when we get to that time. So uh, just keep those things um, in mind. So as I said this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at the unforgiving or unmerciful servant. Uh, It can be found in Matthew chapter 18, uh, beginning in verse 21. But before we get started, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that we can come and worship you uh, this morning. We, we know that we come with maybe happy hearts or sad hearts or just depending on how our week has gone, Lord. We ask that you would give us strength during this time, that as we lift you up through songs of praise and as we hear from your word, uh, that we would tune our hearts uh, to you and that we would just remember all that you've done for us. Lord, now as we open up your word, Allow the Spirit to work in our lives and work through me in a way that brings honor and glory to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, it's been said that Christians are very much like porcupines on a cold winter's night. The cold drives these porcupines together as they huddle for warmth. But if you've ever seen porcupines, you know that all that ends up happening is they jab themselves as they get closer and closer together. Or maybe you've heard the famous quote that says, to dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be a great glory. But to dwell below with the saints that we know, well, that's another story. So we think about as we gather as a church and as we gather within your workplaces, wherever you are, the question is, have you ever been hurt by someone? Has someone ever just caused hurt into your lives that you just couldn't get over? Now, I know it's a, it's a silly question because if you've been on this earth long enough, somebody is going to hurt you. It's either going to be intentionally or unintentionally. It's going to be hurts that you have in your lives. Maybe they they lie to you, and they disappoint you. They, They do something to your family. But how does the Scripture tell us that we are to deal with these hurts and these struggles? Well, this morning, we're going to look at this aspect of living this life in the kingdom that Jesus is describing through these parables. And I'll say this is probably quite possibly some of the hardest things that we have to deal with as believers, Today, we're going to look into this idea of forgiveness as we look in Matthew 18. See, Jesus has been telling these parables, as we've been discussing through this whole year, these little stories to, to give us pictures of the things that we see in Scripture. He's teaching us truth through these stories that he's saying. And from this story, we're going to see what he teaches us about forgiveness, So let's look at this beginning in verse 21 of Matthew 18. It says, Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? In this instance, Peter is coming before the Lord and asking a simple question. How many times should I forgive somebody when they hurt me or when they sin against me? And actually, he's being quite generous in this because a lot of the the, the rabbi teaching of this time would say that if somebody does you wrong three times, after that, you don't have to forgive them anymore. So instead of the teaching of, of just three, Peter is coming along and saying, how about if I at least go to seven, Lord? What if I at least go seven times in forgiving my brother? will that be enough? Well, Jesus responds to him in verse 22, and it says, And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. So Jesus is presenting him with this number. But I think as you look at this, Jesus really isn't saying that this is the number of times you should forgive somebody. He is making just an exaggerated statement. It's kind of like If we say, I am so hungry I could eat a horse. Now, do you mean you're actually going to go out and just eat a full horse? Or how many of your parents have said to your kids, I've told you this a million times not to do this. Have you really told them a million times? Now, maybe some of you have been a million times. But usually, no, it is not a million times that you have said something. What Jesus is saying here is, There there is no limit to how many times you are to forgive somebody. How many times this offense could be terrible, this could be really bad. But Jesus is going to tell us through this parable of how we are to handle forgiveness. So let's read the rest of the passage for this morning, picking up in verse 23. It says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debts. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 10,000 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debts. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. As we look into this parable this morning, I think we're gonna see two main truths. We're gonna see that we must forgive freely, even when it is costly. And two, we forgive because we have been forgiven. You see, God's forgiveness forms the foundation of how we forgive others. So let's look into the story and see what we can learn from this. The first thing I think we see is this, that God forgives the most. And we see that forgiveness is costly. For the one giving the forgiveness, forgiveness is very costly. The master had called his servants to settle his accounts with them. Did you just see how deeply this one servant had gotten into the hole? Look back at verse 24. Now, let's paraphrase this. You know how this has gone for me in the past when we bring up Numbers and multiplying and all these different things it's just about as bad as spelling and grammar in fact who knows how i even got through school at this point that's why i know you're all thinking so let's look at what we have here as we think about what this first servant owed so here's where it is a talent and it it can vary on commentary but basically a, a talent is 20 years worth of work so $15 $15 an hour. Now, hold on. It's, don't freak out about that. That's just the generic. Hey, we're not getting political about this in any kind of way, but we're making $15 an hour, uh, a, an average daily work for somebody. So then you work 40 hours a week. That's $600. Times that by 52. Am I doing good so far? All right. Brings us to $31,200. That's one year. But then you got to times that by 20. And that gets that 600024 but he owed 10,000 talents. So how much does he owe? It's on the screen, everybody. There you go. $6.24 billion is what this servant owes to his master. Now, to put that kind of in perspective, I looked up Forbes' list of Millionaires and billionaires, and there are only 448 people in the world who are worth six billion dollars. Now, I hate to break it to you, but not one of those people attends Faith Fellowship Church. Sorry, that's just the way the numbers work out. I'm only worth five billion. <laughs> kidding, kidding, kidding. So, now let's look at this in comparison. To the other servant. So the other servant here is a denarii, and that's about one day's wage. So you get the $15 times eight hours a day, 120. He owes 100. So the servant owes to the other servant about $12,000. And again, depending on, it's not exact in denarii, we're trying to figure out, we weren't alive back then, but this is a general principle at least. So we have a huge amount that is owed, is the basic principle here and a very little amount which is owed. Now, I know for a lot of us, $12,000 is still a great amount of money. If somebody owed me $12,000, I probably would still be a, a little upset in a sense of that. So, but that kind of puts it into a modern context of, of what we're dealing with as we think about what is happening kind of behind the scenes of this. So, we have to understand that this great debt that was owed, and this great debt that was forgiven. I think about it. If you owed somebody $6 billion and they just said, you know what? You don't have to pay it back. How would you feel? Great. Yeah. I would say great, because I'm not going to pay back $6 billion anyways. But, yeah, what a relief it would be. Think about it. A couple of weeks ago, what we just announced that we've paid off our mortgage in full, right? We have no debt. We are free. To buy jet skis and boats. No, I'm just kidding. Come on. You know the jokes we make. All right. We're just going to buy a bunch of lollipops for upper rooms. That's all we're going to be buying is much more candy. But remember, Jesus is teaching a principle behind this. He's not really talking about a money debt that is owed. And he wants us to understand really the debt that we have been forgiven in our sin. And as you look at this, you look at Romans 3.23, and what does it say? It reminds you, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, no matter how good you think you are or the good things that you do, we all fall short of God's glory. And all of us had a great debt of sin upon our lives. Let's think about what the Bible describes as sin. When we think about sin, we we see that sin is anything that displeases God or goes against His will. The most obvious sin, right, is doing bad things. However, as we hear about in James, it's also good things that we fail to do. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So we see all these things building up in our lives. Sin abounding, a great debt in our lives. And then Jesus even goes on further and says, it's not just your actions. It's your heart and your soul and and your mind as he goes through the Sermon on the Mount. Just your thoughts, even if you don't act on them, can cause you to sin. So this great debt of sin is adding up in our lives. There is no one that is good. And when I see my sin in this way, I realize how much debt of sin I have. I have sinned, I continue to sin, and yet God in His great mercy and forgiveness offers us His Son. And this is what we look at as you think and as you come to Christ and recognize your sin you realize all that Christ has paid for us. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says, You have this great debt upon your life, but if you confess your sins, if you believe in His Son, Jesus Christ, and He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now let me just add verse 10 in there, because verse 10 says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So if you're even coming across and saying, you know what, I'm a good person. I, don't, I know I don't sin. He's just saying, here, well, you're a liar. There is sin abounding in your life, and you need the sacrifice of my son. I mean, think about this cleansing, right? This, as I said, cleansing from all unrighteousness. Colossians 2, 13 through 14 says this about this cleansing. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses, your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. So the sins, this debt, that we have built up in our lives. Jesus comes and takes that debt upon himself on the cross, nailing it to the cross, erasing our debt. That is the good news of Jesus Christ, that our debt has been paid, that six billion sins that we commit in our lives is founding forgiveness in the cross as Jesus was nailed. But what about our sins, right? God, he, he could bring it back up again, right? He could bring it back up again and, and use it against us. Well, Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the East is from the West, so far he removes our transgressions from us. He says, As far as the East is from the West and to be remembered no more for your sins. They are forgotten. They aren't brought up again. They are forgiven and gone in the eyes of Christ. Think about what David said about his forgiveness. He said this in Psalm 32, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. How blessed it is for us to find forgiveness this morning. Perhaps you as a believer are struggling with the idea of past sins, the sins that just continue to come up in your mind and the ones that the enemy wants to bring up to use against you and to accuse you. But instead, these verses tell us that one, your debt is forgiven and that Jesus, God, remembers them no more. Stop beating yourself up over these things. It is an incredible promise for us. Psalm 103 13, it goes on and says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He loves and cares for us with our debts, enough to send his son to the cross that we might find forgiveness. He is a gracious, loving Father. And because of God's gracious and His forgiveness for us, how can we withhold forgiveness from anyone else? How can we stand up and say, I am not going to forgive this person? Again, look, we aren't saying that the hurts aren't real. There's a lot of hurt in our lives. But we're saying as we look to the comparison to what we have been forgiven in our lives, we need to look out into this world and live in a way in which God has called us to live. See, this is costly. But in light of what God has forgiven us, it is worth the cost. Forgiveness was costly to Christ. It cost him his life upon that cross. And it's going to be costly to us, and we'll discuss a lot of these things as we go. See, as we think about this and this cost, when when we say to somebody, I forgive you, this is what was costing us. It's saying this, it's saying that I am not going to bring this matter up again, I'm not going to bring it up to others, and I'm not going to dwell on this in my mind as I forgive you for what you have done, I am taking it out of my memory. I I am starting a new life. I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm not going to use it against you later on in life. And so you remember this time when this happened and how hurtful that was? I haven't forgotten that. Forgiveness is saying, I let go of that. I'm not going to let that have a weight upon my shoulders as it is on that paper airplane because you're just not going to fly the way God wants you to fly if you're holding on to these things in your lives. It is a process that we take. It is saying that I forgive you, a conscious choice to this. It's an ongoing thing. I am forgiving you. And then hopefully it gets into a past where you say, I have forgiven you. It cost us the right to hold it over a person's head. It cost us the ability to control a person through a situation. Sometimes people might even question why on earth would you forgive that person? Why would you even take those steps through that? I could I can't even imagine how you could forgive in that way. Like I said, it's not easy. And there are times that we look at it, and we don't owe the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. Our sins, our thoughts, all that we do in our lives cause us to have such a divide. Yet it is in those matters where that that sin debt, which was in its billions, is now been forgiven in Jesus Christ. Keep in mind that it's always worth the cost. Maybe you have experienced this, and and you've shown forgiveness and you realize how a relationship has been restored. Maybe one that you thought would never be repaired. But there it is, taking this, releasing you from the bondage and the bitterness that comes with us. We want to fly in the way God wants us to fly through this world. So not only does God forgive the most, but we see that forgiveness with that king is freely forgiven. Remember what happens in the story, The, the guy begs and the king just says, you know what, your debt is forgiven. And that is the same way in which God forgives us. There is nothing that we do to earn forgiveness. In Ephesians 2, it says, for grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. We don't deserve what we get from God. We don't deserve his forgiveness in any way because of our sins. But it is a gift that he brings to us. No amount of good that we do could undo the bad. If you're going about life trying to do just a little bit more good than you do bad, you're not going the way that God wants you to go. It is a free gift for all that he does. It goes on and says in Colossians 3, beginning in verse 12, it says, "...put on them." as God's chosen holy ones, beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Verse 13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You see any kind of wiggle room in that verse? Do you see and exit ramp where you can maybe not go towards forgiveness he says no he says, look as as God as though God has forgiven you so you go to others and you forgive and as you go about this there's always going to be objections right objections like well they don't deserve forgiveness well as I said do we deserve forgiveness if I forgive them I'm just letting them off the hook I'm just letting them get away with whatever they've done. Well, I don't think that's what forgiveness involves. I think forgiveness involves really a, a transferring over and saying, you know what, I'm going to let God handle this situation. There's nothing that I can do, and re- it's going to relieve us of the burden of responsibility. This comes to light in Romans chapter 12 in verse 17. It says, Repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So we come into forgiveness and we let God handle it. To the contrary, it says in verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When we forgive, we're transferring it back over to God and saying, I'm going to let God handle this situation. But as far as our relationship, I forgive what has happened. And I know it it sounds crazy and it doesn't sound natural because that's what it's not. It's not natural for us in this life to do this. It it is something that comes as the Holy Spirit works in our lives. The natural man is going to seek out vengeance. It's going to seek out not forgiving and carry the burdens of this life. And we see what happens when you carry burdens and bitterness. It can excel and go to the extremes in many cases of, of violence or whatever it can lead to. But he says, let go. Another thing we often hear is, well, they aren't aren't really sorry for what they did. Well, there was a time when Jim and I met with some people who were going through conflict in church, and this was one of the things that they brought up. Well, they aren't really sorry for what they did. And what we discussed with them is really, it's not up to whether they're really sorry. The, The burden is on you to forgive. Hopefully their hearts will change as you forgive and as you move on. But forgiveness isn't dependent upon that other person. Forgiveness is dependent on us in saying, I let this go. I release this and I move on from my life. Are you willing to trust God enough to let him set things right? To let him handle the things as we go about conflict in this world? And this is the last aspect that we've seen that we've already been discussing throughout this, and it's really the third point here, and it says that God calls us to forgive. Forgiveness is necessary. Look again at the end of the story, and Jesus implies that there is forgiveness that could be withheld from us if we don't give forgiveness to others. And it's not an aspect of salvation, and there's a lot of debate about what it means as we think about forgiveness. But I think the important piece here as we look to this is that we must be forgiving people. As you look throughout the New Testament, you you think about the Lord's Prayer, forgiving those who trespass against us and all these things. If we are unwilling to forgive, are we following the commands that God has laid out for us? Are Are you willing to take the first step? in asking God to forgive and give you strength to forgive. Because then you need to take a hard look at your life and see, am I blocking how God wants to work through this situation? We all experience hurts in this world and we struggle. But Ephesians 4.31, I think, sums up a lot of these things. And it says, Let all bitterness and wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Leave out that bitterness and wrath of your life. Love one another as God has loved you and forgive people who do you wrong. Forgiveness is a hard thing for us in this world to go through. But it's a clear call for us as believers, as the church, to be about finding and giving forgiveness so as we conclude and we get ready for a time of communion here's this quote i found from from david platt and he says this he says the bible is not saying it's easy to forgive or that it's natural to forgive however it's christian to forgive in fact the christian has no other option we forgive not because we have to but because in love we are compelled to. As you search out your life, who haven't you forgiven in your life? Who is God bringing to your mind as we think about this parable that you need to extend forgiveness to? It's hard, and as it says, it's not natural for us in our state. But we have been forgiven so much. And as we look at communion, we're reminded of the forgiveness before us. His body, which was broken. His blood, which was shed on the cross for our sins. And if you haven't accepted Christ into your life, I would encourage you to think about, as we discussed here, you are a sinner. There is no doubt about that. You have a debt of sin upon your life that you could not pay back no matter how hard you would work at good works. Jesus came to this world and lived the perfect life. He died upon the cross, and I am reminded of the words of John the Baptist as he saw Jesus walking toward him. He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the gospel message, and do you believe this to be true? If you believe, then we invite you to participate in communion with us. We are told even as we approach this table that we are to think about those who maybe we have wronged in our lives, who we have kind of sinned against or we're holding things against to confess the sins that we have before we come to this table. I'd encourage you now, before we come forward, before the ushers come forward, to reflect and to ask God for any forgiveness and confess any sins that you have in your life. Take a moment now and reflect. As we begin to close in one final song, I, I probably know this was challenging to hear because it was challenged to prepare to, to think about this idea of forgiveness to know that we've all been hurt in this world and this hurt it builds and it builds and it builds into the billions and it's not to ignore the hurt it's not to ignore the pain that it causes but there is this sense of, of, of freeness that comes in forgiveness and saying that i'm not going to let this rule my life anymore And we think about the sin and the debt that was paid, and I'm not going to let this sin rule my life anymore because there was a great price that was paid, and now I want to live my life in a way which brings forth honor to my my, my Savior, Jesus Christ. So go about this week, consider forgiveness, and reflect on the words of this parable. Amen? Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand and sing together one last song?